today on the Tearsheet Podcast. So Rapid is a company that's built a global fintech as a service platform. Uh, the intent of the platform through the four products that we have is to allow other companies to build upon us so that they can concentrate on uh, either their core competency or investing, particularly in light of, let's say, the current uh, macro situation, the finite product and engineering and business resources they have on their core competency. Welcome to the Tearsheet Podcast. I'm Zach Miller. If you're a retailer or a new challenger bank, it just doesn't make any sense anymore to build out payments infrastructure when you have firms like Rapid out there. Eric Rosenthal, Rapid's Managing Director of the Americas, joins us on the podcast to talk about the hot fintech as a service firm that has gone global from its very start. The company just launched into Brazil, and Eric describes the company's global strategy and how Brazil plays into that. We talk about who's integrating payments and where the market is headed. Eric Rosenthal is my guest today on the Tearsheet Podcast. I wanted to tell you about Tearsheet's newest online conference, Day to Day 2020. Entire financial ecosystems are emerging around financial institutions and large fintech companies with data at its core. We're spending three days hearing from top executives at firms like Fiserv, MX, Wells Fargo, Investnet Yodley, Plaid, and more about how they are best leveraging customer data to help deliver better products and services. Day to Day 2020 is all about data sharing, data aggregation, and personalization. It's about the future of finance. For more information, click on the Day-to-Day -day Conference button at the top of our website, tearsheet.co. Okay, so great. my name so, is Eric Rosenthal. Uh, I am the Managing Director of Rapid here in the Americas. I've been with the company since 2018. I joined as the first employee here in the region. Um, from a context perspective, this will give you a bit of background as well. So I've been with the company, as I said, for about two and a half years. I joined as employee 14. Globally speaking, we're about 175 employees across four major offices, one in Tel Aviv, one in London, one in Singapore, and then one here in Mountain View, California, which is the office that I lead. Um, my responsibilities have obviously evolved over time. When I first started, I was responsible for setting the company up, quite literally, as I always say, doing my own photocopies. Um, but currently- Taking the garbage out. Taking the garbage out. Well, actually not even that, because I didn't even have an office back then. Okay. Uh, um, and now um, I have oversight of four offices. We have an office in Miami, an office in Brazil, an office in Mexico, and then the main office here in Mountain View, California. Um, I oversee operation sales, uh, business development, uh, work obviously very closely with compliance. So basically the regional general management um, and not owning product, but obviously influencing the product roadmap as it relates to what are the needs for the region and then deploying the go-to-market for the products that we're developing. Um, just as a bit of background on myself, I came to the company via an introduction through an investor that was a former um, colleague of mine and also former investor of the last company I was at. Um, like many people in the world of fintech, I started my journey in fintech in the traditional incumbent uh, field or call it type of company. I started with Citibank or as part of the corporate strategy group and then part of City Ventures. Uh, then spent some time at McKinsey where I was part of the payments practice and private equity group uh, based in Latin America. Uh, before I came back to Silicon Valley uh, after being away from Silicon Valley for about 14 years, joined First Data and helped set up their corporate venturing unit here in Silicon Valley, moved on to another venture-backed company called Abra, uh, and then joined Rapid. So that's a bit of a background about me. 
Great. So a classic underachiever. Thanks, Eric. Um, just kidding. <laughs> um, so, so wait, so let's talk about, before we jump into rapid, let's talk about um, that transition um, from incumbents um, onto the fintech side. Um, can, you, can you talk about sort of that transition for you and, and sort of how well positioned or, or, or what you needed? Like, can you just give, I guess, a little color around that? Yeah. So I think that ultimately there's two buckets of that transition. So there's one bucket, which is what is the, the internal process that I think lots of people in the industry go through uh, at any given point of time when they begin to contemplate is the place that they're at the most appropriate place for them on a personal level. Um, and then the, L, the second is how do you actually constantly take that personal drive or inclination to do something slightly different um, and what are therefore how do you make that, that transition? So in my particular case, um, I actually spent the earlier part of my career in the public sector. I've worked for the US government, for the Spanish government, um, and then as I was getting my advanced degree, getting my MBA, um, I spent some time working for the International Development Bank, we'll call it the bridge between the public and private sector. Um, and I kind of stumbled into my role at Citibank, uh, joined a classical corporate strategy group working inside of the retail and private wealth management groups based in China. Um, and then I was um, adopted or pulled into the City Ventures group by the head of Asia City Ventures, um, precisely because I was actually one of the few people in region that had spent a significant amount of time across a variety of different business groups. Um, so ultimately I understood what at that time GTS was doing. I understood how the investment bank at the high level worked. I understood at the high level how the retail bank worked. And that became a critical uh, necessity inside of the venture group whose primary mandate was pushing forth innovation. So that was called my entry into what in 2010 could be called uh, FinTech. Um, and then ultimately it was through that process on a personal level that I realized that I was likely to be happier on the other side of the table. So not the large incumbent that was looking for partnership opportunities or not the large incumbent that was trying to figure out how to innovate, but actually the smaller companies and smaller teams that were born and raised as technology companies and more consequently on a personal level um, from a cultural perspective, moving faster, more nimble. Um, and that's called it what motivated me to begin that path or that journey towards a full transition. How I, I went, guess, the, sorry, go, go ahead. How well, I went about that transition though was a bit kind of accidental in the sense that I went off to McKinsey um, I wrote an article in 2012 uh, that was published in the Payments Quarterly where the question basically was to, in, to, to venture or not to venture, um, where it was really in the early days where many corporations were coming to the likes of McKinsey, Bain, BCG, and others and asking them, how do we innovate? Should we mm -hmm. be setting up a venture unit? Should we not? Um, and that's what pulled me out of McKinsey into City Venture, or sorry, to, into First Data Ventures. Um, so the journey to a certain degree was I had spent a lot of time kind of on the intellectual um, and for lack of a better terms and not to actually call it critique myself, but also being somewhat self-critical and self-aware to step to step away from that pedestal of being the person that was evaluating opportunities, mm -hmm. evaluating companies, but instead saying, if I'm going to be legitimate in this space, I need to move over to the operating side for some period of time. Um, and that's how I moved away, uh, moved into another early stage company that was backed by American Express, RE, first round capital and the right of others. 
particularly it was a company or a company called Abra. Um, and that has constantly been my journey for the past five and a half, almost six years. Um, so when I look back, call it now 11 years later, uh, it all makes logical sense. Uh, like any call it professional, maybe the steps make sense at the high level, call it almost uh, spiritual level that this all makes sense when it comes together. But sometimes when you're making the steps, it doesn't make a lot of sense until you look back and say, oh, well, those were actually very logical steps of how I constructed my career. That, that, that does make a lot of sense. So, so let me ask you this. So why Rapid? Um, what was it about the company that uh, enticed you to move over? Um, so probably similar three areas that were of interest to me as far as speaking in bullet points, which was something I learned as a former consultant. Yeah, I was um, say. First, and, first and foremost, what was the, per- the, per- the personal motivation? So for me, um, I, I will... I wanted to have a significant influence on what was done, how it was done. Um, and while I joined the company two years into its existence, um, and of course, I can tell you a bit more about what it does now, um, I still had the opportunity to significantly influence the path that it was going to take. Based on my mind, that's what I was thinking. The second was um, through my own experience in my past company, what I realized uh, was that the world was really searching for a platform by which to build upon. Um, so when I was at First Data, I was part of the team that was bringing to life Apple Pay um, and working with Apple as First Data as they were discovering new things. And it became very clear to me that where the world was going to be going was brands were going to want to build on top of platforms and they were going to continue to want to own the consumer. Um, and as let's say five or six years ago, where the world would talk about was in the payments breakthrough that Uber had is that the fact that they made payments invisible. So it became to crystallize for me at that point. The second was that when I was part of this last company, Abra, what I had the privilege of being able to do was to do a lot of public speaking and a lot of engagements with large incumbents who were curious to understand what we were building um, because we were one of the first blockchain companies to be backed um, by um, a large scale traditional financial institution, specifically American Express. Mm-hmm. And what I discovered along the way is that the vast amount of uh, interest was focused on, could we take your platform and use it for our own purposes? So it was very rare that someone would come and say, oh, we're interested in backing you or working with you and letting you continue to have your own brand in the market. So bringing those two factors together, it became very clear to me that when I came across Rapid, as a company was transitioning from itself being a consumer facing application um, and launching a consumer app called Cash Dash, mm-hmm. um, that as well, they discovered along the way two things. One, that it was every single time you had to build a financial application, whether you were a company trying to launch a challenger bank, whether you were a bank trying to innovate, whether you were a retailer trying to do something different, whether you were a marketplace platform trying to incorporate financial services, whether you're a large corporate trying to do something, they kind of needed to reinvent the wheel each and every time. So when they built their own application, they had to reinvent the wheel. They had to build out all the technology platform. They needed to go connect to payment networks. They needed to go build out a compliance platform. They need to go build a compliance program. Um, so they themselves began to realize perhaps there's more value in offering a platform to others than trying to bring a platform to end consumers. So it was called the stars were aligned that it was very clear to me that there was an opportunity in the market for this type of thing. 
um, and the founding team of Rapid was just in the midst of pivoting from being B2C to B2B when I came across them. So the second reason was I knew that there was a very clear opportunity. Fast forward into the future, now that it's been two and a half years, um, again, it's a bit of 2020 hindsight, is that what I also realized is that it was so crystal clear to me that not only was an opportunity to build a platform by which others can build upon, but to build a platform that would leverage the first and two, one of the other components, which was a global platform. So I've lived and worked in Spain, Peru, Mexico, El Salvador, China, Singapore, and it's very rare to have a company that is as ambitious and to a certain degree as, as ambitious and let's say as bold to say, we're gonna build a global platform. Um, and that's not what we're building. So just in summary, what is Rapid? Um, and therefore, why all the dots came together. So Rapid is a company that's built a global FinTech as a service platform. Uh, the intent of the platform through the four products that we have is to allow other companies to build upon us so that they can concentrate on uh, either their core competency or investing, particularly in light of, let's say, the current uh, macro situation, the finite product and engineering and business resources they have on their core competency and not replicating and rebuilding, call it fragmenting and disparate financial infrastructure. Mm -hmm. So we have four products. We have the Rapid Collect platform, which is a platform that allows companies to collect payment across a hundred different countries using e-wallets, cash, bank transfers, and cards. The Rapid Disperse platform, which is a platform that allows companies to disperse payments across about 170 markets to bank accounts, to cash pickup locations, push to card and e-wallets. We also include inside of that product, the ability to enable bill pay and airtime um, as, as a payment, as a, per, a disbursement option. The Rapid issuing platform, which is a platform that allows companies to issue cards through a single integration across, I think now about 40 different countries. Um, and then the Rapid e-wallet, which is effectively a white, pay, white labeled PayPal. Um, so it's a digital ledger that allows merchants to create wallets, create closed loop wallets, open loop wallets, uh, create their own merchant wallets with different currencies since we can hold about 71 different currencies inside of our system. And of course, underpinning all these products are the underlying treasury reconciliation settlement and compliance engines uh, that make it all possible. So for me, hopefully this is called my life work as it relates to my career inside of FinTech because it really does piece together all the different experiences on a personal level that I had. Lots of international exposure, lots of, let's say, understanding of how difficult it is either for big or small companies to build stuff and innovate quickly. Um, and then ultimately as well, um, the ability to, on a personal level, get in early and build something that I think will have a significant impact on the world. That's awesome. So, um, and it, what's really interesting is how it ties together, not just the, the, the platform piece, but also your, your story about, about working globally. Um, can, we, can we drill into sort of the customer base? I don't know if, there's company, if there are companies you can name or sort of who, who are the typical um, clients that you're, that you're serving? And I guess it depends on the product set, but um, like who, who's the typical client and, how do you, and, and what, does, what do the engagements look like? Yeah, so I think that what I could say is what's typical across our clients is a few characteristics. So one of two things and, or one end or two things. 
um, a client that wants to do multiple things. So I want to be able to disperse and collect. Um, I want to be able to collect, but I want to be able to do it across multiple countries or multiple payment methods. So the common uh, characteristic across all of our clients is that they're trying to solve what would otherwise be fairly complex um, use cases, even though, call it on paper, it shouldn't be that complex to be able to disperse a payment, even just in the US and collect a payment through one commercial or commercial relationship and one technical integration. It's actually very difficult to find an accounts receivable payments platform, even mm -hmm. just in one country. So common characteristic is they're trying to solve either one's funds flow across multiple countries or multiple funds flows across one country or some combination of those two factors. At how to wrap it get started, consequently it got started by serving primarily large scale enterprise clients. So Uber is a client, so you can think of the complexity of their business from a payments perspective. How do I collect payments across 60 different countries? How do I disperse payments across 60 different countries? Uh, how do I actually, in the middle, optimize the treasury operations um, if I combine those two use cases and begin to move towards a, a capability of, of net settling, for example, from treasury efficiency perspectives? So that's called the type of profile of client. What you begin to realize, though, is that that profile of client actually exists across multiple industries um, mm -hmm. or, or verticals, and as well, to a certain degree, multiple size companies. So. I'm a lender that needs to be able to collect and disperse payments. I'm a challenger bank that I grew very much in one country, but now as I go into the next country, it's very difficult to find the bin sponsor, find the program manager, or it's very difficult to find the load network so that you can get funds into the system. Um, I'm a traditional bank that uh, built out my own global correspondent network, but then I realized that now with the proliferation of different endpoints, meaning cash or e-wallets, uh, that is, I need to be able to integrate that in and ultimately need to be also to expose to my corporate clients APIs. Um, a marketplace platform that has traditionally hired a, one of the, let's say, disbursements companies to pay out, but then they realized, no, I want to embed the seller services into my platform and I want to own the customers and they want to be able to ultimately turn that function of disbursement into a source of revenue. Um, we also have as well clients um, that are remittance companies that say, I wanna be able to disperse funds um, across 40 different countries, but I don't wanna to have to go build my own network and go connect to 40 different networks. I come to wrap it as a single point of connection. Um, so the commonality is ultimately, I'm trying to build some type of puzzle um, and this becomes the shortest path to do so in which case, this is a lot of the reason why Rapid talks about itself as, you know, the AWS, the fintech, but truly the AWS, the fintech, because we're global. Um, and how do I actually combine these microservices into otherwise very difficult solutions? Um, so that's where we've traditionally been. What we've just uh, begun to deploy, um, and we'll be making a significant amount of, let's say, noise about it in the coming weeks and months, is... Um, self-onboarding. Um, so the ability to actually let the next set of merchants from a size perspective to be able to quickly self-serve as they get onboarded um, so that we can offer these same type of services to other merchants. I'm a merchant that 
maybe doesn't do millions of millions of calls or hundreds of millions of TPV, but I'm still a merchant that, yes, I sell cross-border or yes, I want to be able to collect and disperse. Um, and ultimately what you discover is that they don't have a lot of options, particularly that are not only focused on card transactions. In the remaining time, Eric, I want to focus on um, some recent news that you had in terms of entering the, the Brazilian market. Um, maybe give us a little color around the Brazilian market and sort of what the go-to-market strategy is there. Yeah. So first and foremost, high-level stuff to a certain degree that lots of people know about is, um, from a size perspective, nearly as large as the U.S. as far as total population. Yes, mm -hmm. call it another 80 or 100 million off, but the second... Uh, largest country as far as total population in the Americas, since I'm the general manager of the entire call it Americas, largest population in all of Latin America, um, significant uh, cross-border commerce, significant, um, call it uh, in-country venture and technology sector of companies that are quickly and have for many years been call it market leaders as it relates to digital transformation um, that are now even more so beginning to export uh, their platforms into new markets, uh, whether that's called iFoods, whether that's Loggy, whether that's Rutmovi, which is the owner of, of a handful of other portfolio companies. Um, these are companies that get started in Brazil and now going elsewhere. Um, so the characteristics that are of interest to us are there's actually fairly fragmented and very diverse uh, payments and financial services ecosystem. Lots of different payment methods, lots of different ways to get funds into system, funds out of the system. Um, that's one element that's very, call it the common characteristic of, or an element of why people think about Brazil as an interesting country. Second, um, as lots of people that still remain either underbanked or completely unbanked, in which case you continue to have an opportunity to either one, expand financial services to them, or at least figure out ways in order to transact with them, uh, respecting their traditional ways of paying, which might be cash, might be boleto, uh, might be using mobile wallets. Um, and I think the other characteristic that we're seeing um, is when European, Asian, and U.S. companies um, decide to put a foothold into Latin America, they've traditionally gone first to Brazil or Mexico and then Brazil. So when we think about why or we made the decision of why to go to Brazil, it was kind of like the per perfect combination. Very large domestic market for us to serve, very large market as it relates to a smaller subset of com companies in region or sorry, in country that are there that now want to go outside of the country. Um, and then as well, tapping into um, significant cross-border flows, not only between consumers and businesses, but also businesses to businesses, um, which is something that I do definitely want to highlight as well, is that Rapid is not just a, call it consumer to business payments enabling platform or business to consumer payments enabling platform. Um, First and foremost, we consider ourselves a fintech as a service platform, but as it relates to kind of the type of customers that we serve, business to business payments is a multi-trillion dollar opportunity. Um, and 
they actually, for many years, have been significantly underserved as it relates to their ability to embed payments into their own checkout experiences. And it's not that they actually have like a checkout when you and I are shopping online, but they're collecting payment for invoices. They're collecting payments for um, from distributors. They're trying to figure out how to digitize their distribution networks uh, when they're interacting with mom and pops. Um, so traditionally services certainly agree that banks have ultimately kind of fallen short in their ability to serve them in the way that they would like to be served uh, with their cash management solutions. Um, Rapid also serves that type of clients. And as it relates to intra or intra company payments in Brazil and inter country payments between Brazil and other countries, lots of opportunity for us. So Eric, when you, when you launch into a country like Brazil, do you launch with the four components of the platform? Do you launch sort of with one as, and to get a foothold and then expand? Like what, what's the expansion sort of strategy? Uh, generally speaking, what we'll do is we'll at least launch with two um, as far as launching. Um, and then after that, we'll weave in others. And that is because Rapid works through what we like to call a network of network or partner model. Mm -hmm. um, and through that partner model, what we find is that um, in very practical terms, you are, you are overcoming the complexities of having to interact with lots of different partners for your clients, but you yourself as a platform, which is Rapid, we do. So in the case of Brazil, we announce a partnership with two um, companies, but these are two of, I think, eight different companies that we work with in Brazil in order to offer what we call a full stack solution. Um, so typically speaking, we'll make fairly commonsensical uh, business decisions with regard to where is there an opportunity? Is there a client that is asking for us to go into a market? What is the capability that they're asking for? Or is there enough uh of a lot of a market that even despite the fact we don't have call it client in hand um, that we understand that if we build it they will come um, so we've actually been working on going into brazil for the better part of a year and a half and only really officially launched the full stack solution as of recent because we completed the entire puzzle of being able to have all four products offered for both domestic clients and for clients outside of brazil Got it. And in the remaining time, we have time for one last question. Um, I know you don't own product, but you, you influence it. And, and obviously there's a feedback loop there from what you're, you're talking to in, in terms of clients in the U.S. Um, can you talk about, even at a high level, um, I guess what the product roadmap looks like going forward? Are you, are you digging deeper into the existing four product sets or are you going to be rolling out other things? Can you give us a, a little bit of flavor of, um, I guess, what the product looks like over time? So I'll try to use some elements of the terminology that we use internally. So we have a team that refer that we call the experiences team. Um, and really what that is referring to is how do you take the core platform capabilities of collecting funds, dispersing funds, issuing cards, and the e-wallet, and then building experiences, which ultimately can be interpreted as the UI, UX, and the way that clients interact with the platform. So first and foremost, as I highlighted uh, high level, um, significant push in enabling clients, uh, ultimately, particularly of the smaller size. And when I say smaller size, we're still talking clients that are of commercial grade um, to be able to interact with the platform 
without having to do uh, lots of hand-holding, the ability to work with the platform in some cases without actually using an API, but instead using a variety of different dashboards. So first and foremost, a lot of investment in enhancing the experiences so we can serve a broader set of merchants and as well, even for the merchant types that we're serving today, make it easier and easier for them to get transacting quickly. Other is, um, as we just announced this week, um, we just acquired a company called Corta, which is an Icelandic company that provides uh, card acquiring services across Europe. It's the principal member of Visa MasterCard. Um, mm. And I think that's also an indication that um, cards have been part of our capability stack for some period of time, but it's also something that we're more heavily investing in uh, as it relates to expanding our ability to do card acquiring locally in more countries. Um, the ability to do card issuing in more countries. Uh, so let's call it more on what we would call like the infrastructure perspective. I think the last component with regard to what the product roadmap looks like is um, obviously continuing to expand network all the time. But I think the last element is how do we uh, invest further in the engine, so the engines of compliance, the engines of risk and, and fraud management, uh, the engines of how do you actually make the company as a whole more efficient because ultimately uh, as volume expands and as products become more diverse, uh, you wanna streamline not only how your client goes through certain interactions with the platform, but how your own internal teams interact with the platform. So also a lot of investment there. Eric, it's been great chatting with you and great learning about Rapid. Thanks for joining us on the Tearsheet Podcast. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me.